Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 66, 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know the coolest information about what's going on right here at NASA. So today we're discussing Orion, the vehicle that will take humans out into deep space. Specifically, we're talking about how Orion deals with serious temperatures. It might not be super apparent, but it has some serious swings out in space. In sunlight, structures can be exposed to temperatures as high as 500 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 150 in the shade. And that's just out in space. When Orion comes screaming back into Earth's atmosphere at 25,000 miles per hour, the heat shield will have to protect the spacecraft, and more importantly, the astronauts inside, from temperatures around 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's twice as hot as molten lava and half as hot as the sun. Discussing this topic is Ronnie Backus. Orion Structures and Thermal Protection System Functional Area Manager. We go into how Orion is designed to handle all of this and keep the astronauts safe from intense heat. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Mr. Ronnie Backus. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Well, thank you for coming on the uh, podcast today, Ronnie. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks, Gary. Glad to be on. So we've had guests that talked about Orion before, but we haven't gone specifically into this, into what it takes to withstand serious temperatures, I mean, high temperatures, especially during reentry, which we'll get into, but also just temperature swings of being in space and the difference that it takes with deep space travel. We right. talked we talked a little bit about it on, on, on the space station, but Orion is, is kind of a different beast. So let's just start with kind of, just to kind of set the scene. Just overall, what do we know so far about the temperature of space? Because I don't think it's it's you don't really think of it when I, like if if you're watching like a space movie, you see someone mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. floating out in space, right? You don't really realize the temperature swings, especially in and out of the sun. So right. so what do we know so far? Well, uh, let's see. So we're talking about in space temperatures, yes, um, and the temperature swings that you get on orbit. Um, very quite a bit, right? I mean, you, huh. and really, when I'm talking about um, the temperatures that you see in space, there's kind of two phases uh, that are important to consider. Uh, one is just the on-orbit environment. Once you get up, you know, out of the atmosphere, and you're in orbit around the Earth, or you're on the way to the Moon, or or, or somewhere, then you've got uh, a thermal management problem that you have to maintain, that hmm. you have to manage. Okay, and there are a wide range of temperatures that you that the, that the spacecraft will see while it's um, in orbit or in space. Then you also, of course, have the the energy uh, associated with the, the, the thermal environment uh, for the reentry phase, right, at ah. the end, end of the mission, which, of course, the space station doesn't have to, to deal with. So, so those are kind of two distinct but related um, problems to solve, okay? And so on, on our team, so on my, my role as the Orion uh, manager of the the structure of the spacecraft and also the thermal protection system. Uh, we deal with the heat shield uh, primarily, and then the back shell, which I'll get into mm-hmm. what that is. But the, basically, the, the external shielding uh, to protect the spacecraft and the occupants, of course, from the reentry environment. But 
the larger uh, spacecraft in its entire mission, we have to manage that temperature, obviously, from, from start to finish. Yeah. And um, we have several teams that are engaged uh, and work together, uh, you know, to kind of hand off that responsibility depending on, on the mission phase. And so, so getting back to your question about, you know, once you get up into space, um, let, let's take uh, low Earth orbit just as a, as a starting point. Okay. And you will see, uh, you know, when you're on the, the side that's when you're facing the sun, obviously you're getting all that, that thermal energy. The surface temperature, so we talk about the temperature of space, but the really important thing is what the temperature of the spacecraft is getting when it's exposed to that solar radiation. And so you can see temperatures as high as, you know, 500 degrees or so uh, on the surface. Uh, and then you come around on the, the backside, or if you're just in the shade, uh, then there's a very steep gradient where it drops down to, you know, minus 150 or so at the coldest point. And temperature varies wow. throughout the, you know, all over the, the spacecraft surface is a distribution. It's a function of what materials you choose, hmm. um, what the optical properties of the outer surface are and how much light and, and solar energy get reflected, how much gets absorbed. All of those are important design considerations in managing how much heat is coming into the spacecraft and also how much heat is going out of the spacecraft, right? For, hmm. for, in terms of the crew inside, you know, we like to keep a nice room temperature, short, you know, short sleeve environment uh, for them. And so, so it's as much about making sure it doesn't get too cold or too hot, right? So when you're going in, in orbit, you have these temperature swings um, in low earth orbit, 16 times a day, you're, every 90 minutes you're going around yeah and so that is a design consideration that has to be accounted for um once you're in transit to let's say talk about the the, the missions to the moon upcoming uh, em uh, missions for orion for example right. or, or for apollo um they didn't have uh temperature swings that frequently but you had to account for the fact of which side is facing the sun which side is in shadow and account for what that does to the spacecraft in the design yeah, that's right. So when you talk about orbital, you're you're mm -hmm. thinking about the Earth uh, having one side mostly facing towards the sun. That's where you're getting those positive temperatures, those sure. really, really hot temperatures. It's really the sun and the maybe the lack of an atmosphere, really, that's not protecting you against those extreme temperatures. Right. So you're, the sun shines on your... direct radiation. Exactly. Yep. So the sun is shining on the, on the side of the structure. That structure is heating up to 500 degrees. Right. And then on the shade side, yeah pretty darn cold negative 150 uh, that's that's not a brisk winter that's right. that's that's uh that's something else so what how do you i guess we'll start with what materials uh what, what kind of materials do you need to think about and and the way that a spacecraft is designed to deal with that so when you're when you're trying to manage the temperatures that you have in the spacecraft you know you have to look at you know maybe the surface temperature um is one thing and it's also the how does that temperature, that thermal energy transmit inside to the components that you really care about, right? right. The crew, obviously, yeah. oh, and, yeah. and any other components that are sensitive to temperature. And so, so that's managed through, I mean, the, the, the primary structure of, of the spacecraft, uh, typically the materials that, that we select for, you know, on orbit, temperatures aren't primary drivers for that, for the design of the structure itself. Hmm. The, t the, the materials can typically handle that. We have carbon composite uh, materials. Okay. Uh, we have um, the high, you know, other high, high temperature materials and, and, and metals in the, in the spacecraft. 
those are uh, those do have temperature limits. We have um, a layer. Typically, what we'll do, like take for example the Orion Crew module, and, and Apollo had this as well. Um, uh, would put an external layer of, of basically it's a Kapton tape or a film that has very specifically chosen optical properties, so that you're you're minimizing how much thermal energy is coming. You know, you're reflecting a lot of that. Uh, energy back out into space, okay. or if it's reaching up a, cer a certain amount of energy or temperature, then it will emit some of that energy off just as part of the of its natural physical properties. Okay, uh, and so uh, so that's a very important parameter uh, that that is uh, defined, uh, and then uh, once the analysts who who have uh, done all of the thermal modeling and analysis, they they define well here's what we need so that we can maintain the environment that we need inside. Uh, then that drove the decision for the specific material or the Kapton tape, uh, basically like tape. It looks like aluminum foil, but the, <laughs> um, and there's different various variations of it. Okay. Um, and pick the one that works best for for our mission. So really, it's when you say optical, that's that's kind of the reflective component to it. Right. Literally, if you want to get rid of some of the heat, you're going to reflect it, reflect that sunlight. Right. Okay. Right. So that actually has a serious effect then on getting rid of some of that heat from the sure. sun. And, it, and certainly you still have those temperatures. Some of that heat will still conduct in. Okay. But actually when you're on orbit, the bigger challenge is is cooling, right? Even though you may have one side that's facing the sun uh, for, the, for, the, like for the Orion crew module as the example, mm. uh, the, the real driver is making sure that, that the heat that's inside uh, the crew module uh, doesn't drop too much because that that conduction path goes both ways. So you can you can have the heat start to conduct out to the surface and radiate out uh, from from those outer layers. Uh, so we had to kind of strike a balance between huh. you know, making sure we we have the right range of temperatures inside. Uh, we control. Um, we have systems that that will monitor the temperature inside, and will. Um, you know, if we need to activate heaters to, to offset that to some amount, we will. Uh, that was part of a factor uh, that drove the selection of the outer layer, for example. This is an integrated problem where huh. if, if, if it's radiating too much out or if, the, the, if it's emitting or the emissivity is the, is the parameter that we're, that we're interested in hmm. is too high, that can drive how much heater power that you have to provide to keep the temperature inside what you need. Well, then that draws more power from the from the electrical system and then there's a ripple effect, right? So we have to look at this from a systems engineering problem to make sure um, the, the choices that we make work for the vehicle as a whole. Yeah, it's a chain reaction. Sure. So so you're talking about not only the from the outside, thinking about the temperature of the sun coming and hitting the spacecraft, mm -hmm. now the inside, you wanna maintain that temperature. Right. So so as a summary, is it is it in the colder temperatures, in the shade, you have you want to make sure that heat is more contained and that right. it's not escaping. That's really what it comes right. down to. That's okay, right. so you're constantly thinking about that. Right. And that's actually the turns out to be more of the design driver. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. the crew, right? You want to protect right. the crew. Absolutely. Um, do you find yourself fighting with the power guys uh, who want to face the solar arrays a certain way, but have thermal constraints on the structure of the vehicle? So, so we do um, consider. You know what is the overall spacecraft pointing needs? The solar rays can can obviously point in us in whatever direction is most favorable. Oh, there you go. Particularly when you're when you're in transit, for the most part, you'll be tail to sun. Like if you're going from the Earth to the Moon on the Orion spacecraft, primarily you're going from the Earth to the sun. Okay. Uh, so you kind of have that steady 
sunlight on one side, and that's you know we're drawing power from from the solar arrays, um, and uh, we're able to to have an integrated solution that that doesn't uh, violate any thermal constraints that we have for the spacecraft while still generating the power uh, that we need. There you go. And there are factors as you go, depending on what phase of the mission you're in, you may need to do an attitude uh, adjustment to to change how you're pointing of the spacecraft or or the solar arrays. Yeah. So we should probably go back and address Mm -hmm. the fact that this Orion spacecraft is the the first few missions we're planning on going to the moon, right? We're going to go around the moon. That's where the vehicle is going to be tested. We have some knowledge from going to the moon before. The Apollo capsule had humans that went to the moon and have kind of a similar profile. You know, you're you're launching, you're going around Mm -hmm. the Earth, and then, bam, translunar injection to the moon. What do we know from some of those missions, learning from past experiences on how to deal with... um, going to the moon and the thermal constraints there and then coming back too, especially with reentry. Right. Yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly the, the Orion spacecraft has, uh, genealogy can trace back to, to Orion and in, in many areas, uh, we definitely, uh, have, have looked at that design and the lessons learned and leveraged that, uh, experience base in informing the design choices that we, that we make that what works for works best for, for Orion, there are some differences. Certainly, uh, Orion didn't. I mean, uh, pardon me. The Apollo had uh, fuel cells on board to generate the electrical power, rather than solar arrays, which Orion has. Ah, okay. Um, there are pros and cons with that. Um, benefits of solar arrays is that basically the sustained power uh, that you can get for long duration uh, uh, missions. Uh, Orion had uh, fuel cells, so they didn't necessarily have the same uh, attitude constraints um, that would be associated with solar array pointing than, than we would have uh, for Orion, um, just as, as one example. Um, there were a number of lessons learned if we talk about reentry in particular, uh, the, the heat shield uh, that, that Orion had, uh, we, we did a lot of research in in, in looking at the Orion design and determining what is the most, what would be the most effective and efficient heat shield uh, for reentry for the missions that we're, that we're looking at. Of course, we have this experience base with Apollo and, and the system that, that was developed mm-hmm. uh, during that program uh, and, and the material systems that, that were a part of that is a material called Avcoat hmm. uh, was developed uh, during the 60s. We are maintaining uh, a lot of that that knowledge, uh, corporate knowledge within the agency, and have applied that to the Orion spacecraft because it works very well. There for, you go for lunar returns. So what's uh, what's Avcode? So Avcode is a is a material system that uh, is used to. It's basically the outer layer. So if you're looking at the spacecraft, whether you're looking at Apollo or uh, the Orion crew module, basically the outer layer of the heat shield that you see before you put this thin film of, of Kapton on that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh, is the Avcoat material. That's your primary barrier that protects the, the crew module from the hostile environment of the reentry uh, trajectories that, that will fly. Uh, it's a material that will uh, shed heat as you reenter the atmosphere. The temperature goes up. You get up to the surface temperature of about 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Um, on the back side, these, these, this is probably, depending on where you are on the heat shield, it's an inch or two inches thick. By the time you get to the layer where it's attached to the internal structure, it's no more than a few hundred degrees, right? So it's very effective at isolating wow. uh, heat from the areas that you need to protect and not exceeding any temperature limits. And the way it works is as the heating goes is increased, then you get these chemical reactions that happen at the surface that's, that's taken the brunt of the, of the reentry environment. And you have these basically these small particles that will start to uh, be liberated from the surface as that, as that heat increases. Hmm. What that does is you're taking small amounts of mass are, are leaving or eroding off of the, uh, of the heat shield. It's taking heat with it. And so that's a, that's a way it's basically dumping the heat as it's applied or dumping it overboard <laughs> into the wake of, of the spacecraft as it flies in the reentry. And that, that uh, is very effective at controlling how much remaining thermal energy makes its way into the spacecraft. Wow. So literally, it's, you said it's about an inch thick, right? And it's just, it's meant to burn away. Right. And that's how it protects you. Literally, right. the heat comes and you just throw it off the back. Kind right. Of. <laughs> I think at the hottest spot on the on the heat shield is called the stagnation point uh and that is that's basically where you're 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 hitting the the um the wind stream basically head on 90 degrees that's oh. you're that's the, taking the brunt of it i think in that location it's about two inches thick at its thickest and as okay. you get to regions where the heating is reduced that thickness will will taper that down to only be as thick as it as it needs to be with the appropriate amount of of margin right so so that was a system that was developed in the 60s, yeah. just at the fundamental material level. Uh, we did a very extensive trade study at the beginning of the Orion program to evaluate a number of different candidate materials to determine which one would be most effective for our use. And Avcoat was, was one of the contenders and went through a lot of testing and analysis to determine what's the best fit. and. For our purposes, the physics are really the same as they were back then, and, yeah. and it really is a robust system that is very effective at, at what we're doing. Um, the the shape of the crew module, uh, certainly for those that are uh, have some familiarity with the Orion spacecraft, it looks very similar to the Apollo capsule design. Hmm. Uh, it's a larger spacecraft in general, uh, the but the shape is is the same essentially. Yeah. So. It flies through the, the through the uh, atmosphere in the same way. the The curvature of the heat shield is the same, just scaled up. Uh, it, and the cur and it's the curvature of these blunt body capsules inherently provides you an, an additional level of of thermal control, if you will. Hmm. So, and the way it does that is that as you're pushing through the the, the atmosphere, it creates this shock wave in front. There's this bow wave in front and as you get farther away from the, the heat shield and get into where that shock layer is the temperatures are much higher than 5,000 we're talking about 5,000 degrees being very hot there are many thousands of degrees hotter than that you get to temperatures of the sun kind of temperatures Whew. you never want that flow to actually directly attach to the heat shield right you'll immediately have a problem right so the shape of the, of the capsule is very important in keeping that 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 shock wave offset from the spacecraft, huh? And so then you have uh, the and so the heating environment that's 
inside that shock wave is is much less. It's only quote in quotes five thousand <laughs> degrees 5, on on the surface. So that so then we have to manage that surface temperature in terms of how the heat shield system itself will reject the heat and minimize heat conduction so that by the time you get to the bond line where the where the heat shield material is bonded to the structure, it's at most allowed to get to about 500 degrees again, like, like we talked about before, by the time right. you get to splashdown. Right? <laughs> so then we just change the thickness of the blocks, depending on where you are, so that you're always protecting that temperature limit inside the structure. Yeah. Wow, I didn't think about that. Upon re-entry, there are higher temperatures than 5,000 degrees, which is yes. absurd to think about in the first place. But just the shape of the vehicle and the way that it's designed protects the vehicle itself from those That's temperatures, right. just based on physics. Right. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, and you think about how much energy there is, and you watch the vehicle, you know, a vehicle that's bound for the moon launch on a, it's got to be on a big rocket. There's yeah. a lot of, of energy that is expended to convert, to be converted into the kinetic energy or the velocity required to get all the way out to the moon, all the way back. Well, we still have that energy is in the system. It's just in a different form. And we have to slow down to, you know, levels that are within a range of what the parachutes can take over from. And all of that energy dissipation is done through just dissipating it through uh, thermal uh, dissipation, I guess, from the heat shield yeah. primarily. And so you've got all this this work that's done as you're pushing through the atmosphere, uh, you're reducing the, the velocity as you're pushing all these hot gases away and out in front of this, this shock wave, and then energy of just liberating this, this material from the AVCO system to carry the heat away and minimize how much heat is coming in. Yeah. And by the time you get down low enough, um, if we've done our job right, you're nice and, you know, rel starting off, let's say, 25,000 miles an hour at the start. By the time you get down in the lower atmosphere, you're maybe 1,000 miles an hour or so, a little bit less. You're within range of where the parachute system would then start to take over. Okay. Yeah, it's it, the atmosphere is a great kind of way to slow down. Right. <laughs> um, so the heat shield, it's, it's designed, if you're thinking about this capsule shape, it's designed to take that heat it's designed to withstand the 5000 well sort of withstand it it's supposed to kind of shed it and mm -hmm. but on the other side that doesn't have a heat shield as well um, and the reason is just because of the shape because a lot of the heat is on this side so what's happening on the other side is the as the temperatures within that 500 degrees right so on the back on the back side yeah. so on the or the, the conical portion of the of the capsule right uh, so the temperatures are much lower back there because you're in the wake of the uh, of the spacecraft as it's plowing through the atmosphere. Huh. Uh, but we still have to uh, provide thermal protection back there. Uh, and this is a case where uh, for the Orion vehicle, uh, we've leveraged our experience with shuttle and actually have an array of uh, very similar to the shuttle tile system back there. So the temperatures really? back there, um, you know, 1600 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, yeah. roughly, uh, you know, it varies depending on location, but that's within range of what a tile system uh, could do. So we put these blocks on there in, in, in typical fashion, and, mm -hmm. and that provides the protection that we need uh, for the back shell. And then you said there's there's tape on top of that? And then on top of that, we put the layer of the Kapton tape, yeah. the shiny metallic, looks like aluminum foil, it's a very right. thin layers on the outside, and then that gets us back to the to the optical properties that we need 
to help manage the thermal environment when we're in orbit. When yeah, right? when so it all ties orbit. together. Right, yeah, as a system. So having the the sort of reflective tape on top mm-hmm. to uh, when you're out in space, that's going to be reflecting a lot of the heat because the tile itself is is black, right? And you don't right. want you don't right. want black tiles when you're out in space, right? That's going to absorb t- too much heat. So then, what's the heat shield made out of? If there's these tiles up top, what's the what's what's underneath this avcoat? So underneath the avcoat, then you're getting into the primary structure of the vehicle, and so the heat shield is basically a giant dish. Yeah. It's a composite. Uh, carbon composite uh, material, so it's 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 uh, fabricated. You basically have these layers of these plies of material that you can lay in. Think of like fiberglass in a boat. Right? They will lay these these uh, these layers in at different angles. The fibers uh, come in these rolls uh, of of it's basically like a roll of think of like a roll of carpet or something, two feet wide or something. And you lay it down in these strips, mm-hmm. and you build up these layers. Uh, you know, 40, 50 plies thick, uh, and then that goes into uh, an oven or an autoclave, and that cooks it, and then all the resin and everything that's in that system will harden, and then you've got a structure that's stiff and strong, can handle the loads that splash down, can handle the, the aerodynamic pressure uh, during reentry, and all the other load cases that we have to deal with. Right. Uh, so that. That's the that's the primary skin that the AFCOAT is, is bonded to. Then there's some supporting um, members inside that made out of titanium that provide additional stiffness and then and then they attach points to the to the rest of the crew module. Oh, okay. Yeah, because because the heat shield not only has to deal with heat, but you're talking about a lot of other factors too that you have to test. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's an integrated problem for sure because you know the thermal the thermal environment and obviously managing and and discarding the heat as you're coming into the atmosphere is a key part of it. Yeah. But you do see temperature differences internal to the structure. You also have to consider this in space where if you have materials that are made from, or if you have structural elements that are made of different materials, they may expand and contract a little bit differently from hmm. each other. And if they're attached together, then that will uh, induce some stresses in the structure that we have to make sure we design for and account for. So that's all part of the the analysis and testing that we do uh, to ensure that we understand how the design works as an integrated system. That's right, because you have all these issues to solve, so you just got to have to make sure that your solutions are going to not only solve them, but then work together. Right. Wow. Exactly. Um, so this, it sounds like uh, the heat shield is, is just a solid piece, like you, you described it as a dish. Is that how right. the Apollo um, heat shield was as well? The, the Apollo design was a little bit different. The structure was different. They hmm. had a, uh, it was basically a metallic honeycomb, they call it a honeycomb sandwich panel. <laughs> so if you, if you were to look at a cross section of it, you'd see a very thin sheet of, of steel, uh, and then you'd have this uh, honeycomb material in between, and then on the other side, you'd have another layer of, of steel was what they had for Apollo for high, had high temperature capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very stiff. The reason for the honeycomb structure is to, um, to take some of the weight out. If it was just a solid material, it'd be very heavy. Be, you wouldn't be able to lift it off the, off the pad. And so you can separate these two, uh, two sheets, make them very thin, put this honeycomb material in between, and then you get a nice stiff structure. Okay. Um, we use similar versions of that design for like the, the back shell panels on the conical section. We use composites instead, but we use the, the sandwich construction is very efficient for, for handling load. 
it wasn't the best fit for for the Orion heat shield. The, the size of the dish made it more efficient for us to just basically make a single skin and then reinforce it with some metallic uh, beams inside, yeah. stiffeners. Uh, that, that was a more efficient solution for our size. It's, it's one of those things when you look at the Apollo design, the Apollo design is a you know, 12 and a half or so feet diameter heat shield. The Orion vehicle is larger uh, it's 16 and a half feet or so in diameter. It's the largest heat shield of its kind. Um, you can't just take the, the old design and, you know, scale up everything <laughs> as it was on the Apollo drawings and have it necessarily work, right? There are other things that, that come into play with, with scaling up. And so yeah. we, we made a decision to, to have a different structural configuration that worked better for the size that, that we were going to going to be using uh, in, in terms of its ability to be manufactured. And so that, that drove the, the structural differences. Um, the Avcoat material itself is very similar to Apollo. Uh, the biggest difference in the Orion design now is in how the, the architecture of the system. And what I mean, what I mean by that is the, if you th look at the Apollo design, if you're familiar with the Apollo design, you have this so you have this uh, the structure, the sandwich structure that I, that I mentioned, and then bonded to the outside of that is another layer of, of honeycomb material, hmm. and it's open cell. So if you were to, to, and you can go over, if you ever go over to Space Center in Houston and look at the, 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 the crew module that they've got over there, the Apollo 17 vehicle, you can see the individual cells. It's, it looks like a honeycomb. I mean, you see these little cells. Um, uh, kind of the, the pattern is on the, the outer surface of the of the heat shield. Cool. Now, there's a lot of manual uh, touch labor that's involved with a design like that. So the, uh. the way they the way they did it was they had this honeycomb. It was open cell material, and then they had a think of like a almost like a glorified caulking gun, and they had a technician manually inject every single little cell <laughs> that covered the entire spacecraft with this with this. Uh, Avcoat material in uh -huh. its uncured form, so it's like a paste. Okay. Okay, and once they get every cell filled up, they put it in the oven and cook it. Then, uh, then after it's cured, fully cured, then it's ready for flight. It's got the properties that we need that to then to then ablate. Um, we started with that design for Orion as well. Huh. Uh, so, in fact, the uh, the EFT one mission that flew. Back in December of 2014, yeah, uh, we started with that design as well. So we had huh. the you know much larger heat shield, but we we had the, the this honeycomb system, uh, and same same process basically injected every single. So there's like 300,000 of these individual cells. Ah, so fun on the, on the heat shield <laughs> uh, that was then cured. Uh, what we've learned from that is as part of the scaling up process is that uh, there are some challenges in terms of manufacturing uh, that that design uh, presented us with. Okay. So once we cured the entire heat shield, we saw some cracks had formed in, in certain areas. Not desirable to have cracks on a heat shield, right? No. And so uh, the good news is we had uh, repair methods that um, did have you know, Apollo heritage that we could uh, employ to basically fill those cracks. We had a series of plugs that were that were um, 
applied to fill in all these cracks and we got a nice heat shield out of it had a very successful flight and the the heat shield performed beautifully it was it was amazing cool um but it was an experience that kind of led us to think about well maybe there's an opportunity here to uh to evolve the design uh a little bit Hmm. um and and so we were looking at uh, other programs and other experiences that we had with block heat shield systems uh, that have flown since Apollo. An example of this would be some of the Mars uh, probes that have flown, like the the uh, the MSL uh, mission, you know, a few years ago. They had a basically yeah. a block system that you 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 you, you cure the individual uh, uh, blocks of the blader into these these chunks of maybe two inches or, or I'm sorry, two feet by two feet or so in size. And then you can, and then you basically bond those on a piece at a time. And so the, the advantages of that is that the, the amount of, of touch labor is reduced. So huh. trying to be good stewards of the taxpayer dollar, we, the cost comes down in terms of production, Cool. but it also got us away from some of these uh, failure modes that were kind of inherent with this honeycomb system. Uh, to get to get some more reliability out of it, and and the reason uh, that that that's helpful is with the honeycomb design, you basically had to build the entire heat shield and then you cured it all at once, and then you kind of found out at the end how did it turn out? You know, did the cake bake the way we planned? Oh yeah. Um, and with the block system now, where if you can make these the the av code in these individual pieces. You can cure them separately, and you can do an inspection of each block and say, oh, this is a good block. Let's bond it onto the spacecraft. Oh, this one's got a flaw in it or this has an issue. Throw it out, right? And so it allows us to kind of screen out as we go and get some efficiency out of the, out of the system and, and get some confidence in that as we are building up the heat shield that we're going to have a system that, that's going to work for us. There you so, go. So it was a combination of, you know, looking for ways to, to – take what we've learned from Apollo uh, and not lose that benefit because the material is very effective at what it does, um, but look for opportunities to enhance its, uh, its, its performance and its ability to, uh, you know, from a practical perspective, uh, from manufacturing and getting costs down and, and other things um, that, that work is working uh, well for us. Now, that's one of the key things looking forward uh, that we're going to be looking for on this EM-1 mission, um, which is our next flight, uh, is a is a flight demonstration of this block hmm. version of the Avcoat system. Okay, there you go. Well, that's the wonderful thing about testing, right? So right. EFT-1 kind of revealed. Well, maybe let's reinvestigate this honeycomb thing, and now you got the block. So right. we're going to try that out. That's wonderful. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, I think thinking about more efficient ways of, of doing things. I love that. So where is, I guess, kind of along those lines, since we're, since we're on the heat shield, you're talking about these, these blocks being designed. Where, where is everything happening? Where's, where are the blocks uh, being manufactured and tested and, and all that? So we have, so our team is, is we've got facilities at multiple locations kind of across the country. Okay. The primary uh, design center for the, the, with our partners, uh, Lockheed Martin, that is, is developing the design and doing the, the fabrication 
uh, for the spacecraft is in their facility in, in Denver, Colorado. Okay. Uh, all the design activity happens there. Um, the primary structure is all fabricated there. It's tested there for strength to verify that it's going to perform the way we want. And then all of that hardware is delivered to Kennedy Space Center. The Avcoat system is manufactured the, we, now that we've moved to this block architecture. Uh, we have the capability down at the NASA Michoud facility down in New Orleans. So Lockheed Martin has got a, has got a team uh, there as well, and they've got production capability. And we've, uh, over the past few years, uh, built up the capability to to build the heat shield material, thermal protection material in these Avcoat blocks at Michoud in hmm. New Orleans. And all those blocks are delivered to Kennedy Space Center for installation onto the structure. And then, of course, the tiles system that we have on the back shell, mm -hmm. you know, we have maintained that production capability. At Those tiles were, during the shuttle era, all fabricated at, at Kennedy Space Center, and we're, cool. we're maintaining that uh, for our uses as well. There you go. So you and got so a little all, bit. Got pieces everywhere, and it all comes together yeah. uh, at KSC and getting ready for flight. Awesome. So this is an interesting question because 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit is, that's pretty hot. And even mm -hmm. you said there's temperatures that are even higher than that, but they're not on the vehicle itself. Right. How do you test the material to make sure it's going to withstand those high temperatures? Right. So our biggest workhorse test facility for evaluating designs for how are they going to stand up to the reentry thermal environment is at the ArcJet facility at Ames Research Center okay. in California. Uh, that there are, and it's, say the ArcJet facility, there's several facilities there um, that can provide, depending on what environment you're targeting, uh, how, you know, what kind of a heating duration and magnitude are you trying to get, then that kind of determines, well, which facility will I go into? Uh, primarily, our testing runs through uh, through our uh, team members at Ames mm. perform those tests for us and we evaluate a lot of different uh, design features if we're looking at just the basic performance of the material is it uh, recessing or ablating away at the rate that we predict are the temperatures following the the predictions all of those things that, that are important to validating the design we'll take a sample of this Avcoat material and put it in this chamber and then you got this superheated uh, plasma, essentially dissociated gas that it will um, simulate the reentry uh, environment. Through this arc heater will, will basically like a big torch that can get up to very high temperatures. So cool. And then you define, well, how long do I want to stay at this temperature? And you define this profile, uh, and then you can compare the results of the test with your uh, analytical predictions and see how am I doing? Do I need to change the model and, and how I'm assuming how thick does it have to be? Right. Mm -hmm. So we've done through, you know, hundreds of tests of looking at different things have gone through the ArcJet facility. We've also looked at, um, we've done some tests up at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, their mm -hmm. research lab there. They have a unique capability to, to apply very high energy thermal environment using lasers. Now, it's a different mode of getting heat in, but you can get very hot um, and also put mechanical load, or you can basically bend the sample at the same time as you're heating it. So you're getting that sort of combined effect. Now, right, there right? you go. Right, because you're coming in uh, 
you're entering the atmosphere, you get all this heating on, but at the same time you've got air pressure building up, and so you're you're flexing the heat shield at the same time as you're heating it up. So that's a way to to kind of check the uh, the sort of the combined effects of those two things at once. Right? There you go. And so we've we've run quite a few tests uh, uh, through there. We've got testing capabilities at Johnson Space Center here. We've got a radiant test facility that will put thermal energy in, depending on what we're trying to do. Um, those are the main areas that we've done testing for. And we're, you know, in addition to just testing the, the, the material system itself, there are things like, well, now we've got this block system. Well, what do you do at the interface from one block to the next, right? You've got a, you can't have a crack. You can't have a groove. Yeah. So we fill it in. We have a, 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 a it's called RTV, which stands for room temperature vulcanized. It's a type of rubber, basically, and we put some some special ingredients in in the mix <laughs> to make sure it performs and and, and stretches the way we want. Um, and but we have to make sure that there's not some unique failure mode hiding in the design, you know, at these features or at these interfaces, right? So we spend yeah. a lot of time testing out the gap filler. And how is it performing in these environments as well? So that's been a key part of our demonstration and getting confidence in this block system yeah. before we put it up in the air. Yeah, because when you're talking about testing, um, the, the reason the reason I ask is I find this so fascinating. Is you, you're talked about you know you you go through all these tests and then finally you fly EFT one and then find improvements. You right. know, you have this big test, this the actual flight that reveals something. You just can't no matter how many times you test, once you once you do it, you still learn so much. Absolutely. So that's I, I, I that's one of the incredible things about testing. And that's why I'm so looking forward to these upcoming tests, you know, EM1, EFT1. What are you looking forward to with these with these upcoming things to to finding out? Well, certainly for the EM1 mission is going to be huge for 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 the entire team, of course, but yeah. from looking kind of from my knot hole how does the structure perform? And in particular, how does the, the thermal protection system perform? Uh, for EFT-1, we had a very high heating environment. Uh, you know, by design, we lofted the orbit up 3,000 miles up in Apogee, I think it was, and then came in and really dug into the, to the atmosphere to really try to put a stressing environment on the heat shield yeah. and learned a lot of things from how did it perform and how did it compare with our predictions. Well, for EM-1, that we're going out even farther, right? We're going out to to the moon and back. Yeah. And and by the time you get back, uh, those velocities, you know, you're back up to twenty five thousand plus yeah. miles an hour. Um, how is the heating environment going to interact with our with our design, right? Yeah. And so, and so, we've really done a lot of testing on the ground but it's not a replacement for flying it and you see Absolutely. it you know how is it going to do we've made assumptions there are certain things that we know you can't test on the ground certain certain corners of the design box if you will <laughs> that we can't duplicate on the ground yeah. the only way you get it is if you fly and so for those areas you know we may carry some additional uncertainty in our analysis and how we're sizing the system to handle those loads so we're really looking forward to getting some real flight data on the system and we can go and compare you know maybe after i see how it flies a time or two i can start to reduce those uncertainties in that area and I'll, and confirm that there's no hidden you know failure modes or something that we need to pay attention to you know there's there's uh there's a lot of good things coming out of out of em1 and we're really looking forward to getting that data and 
for sure and getting it in the hands of the engineers yeah like a, a altered design right you're testing you're testing it a lot but really it, it'll be exciting to see that thing come through the atmosphere right. and deploy the parachutes yay you know you did Absolutely. it so that's that's going to be pretty exciting um you know this is we're, we're talking about these test flights uh but then beyond that we're talking about missions to the moon missions mm-hmm. to mars um, what needs to change to make those successful? Or is this something that we can apply to future deep space missions? Right. So we have, it, just from the very beginning of the design of, of the Orion vehicle, have have purposefully designed it to be as, as capable and as robust as, as we can so that we keep our options open as far as destinations, right? Yeah. We want to make sure we're providing uh, ourselves with that latitude so that if you know, if we're if we're doing lunar missions, right? So we've got these upcoming uh, EM one and EM two. EM one will basically be our big shakedown flight. Yeah. Uh, you're coming back at lunar velocity return velocities, obviously. Uh, EM two, we'll have crew on board. Right? Yeah. That'll be huge. Um, and then if you're looking, and so we've designed the, the the vehicle from the from the get go for those environments. Uh, if you're looking at uh, the, the the later missions, you know, we're, we're evolving to this gateway concept of having an outpost out on the other side of the moon. Those return velocities are still very similar, well within the capability of what the Orion heat shield uh, can handle. Uh, once we get, and we demonstrate that up front with these test flights, mm-hmm. um, and then of course off in the horizon, we've got our eye on Mars, and you know there may be day to day we're working the. The, the the immediate problems, but that's all. Mars is always there, right? And in, in our minds, and so, and so, looking at uh, the return velocities from Mars, uh, there are a number of different ways you can go to and from Mars. Some of the return trajectories will be way too fast for really any material to handle, but there are a, huh. a nice class of trajectories uh, that our guidance and navigation and control team can put us in that will be within reach of the current design that we have. And, and what's interesting about, about the way the, the, this material works, you know, let's say you're coming back on a, on a Mars mission, the, the typical class of trajectories that we would be looking at may be 10 or 15% higher in velocity, roughly. Hmm. Okay, so it is faster, uh, but it's not inordinately faster. And so uh, at those kind of speeds, the surface temperature, just based on the physics of how the the, uh, the ablation works, is still at 5,000 degrees. It's the same, essentially the same temperature, even though you're coming in a little bit faster. But what's happening is you still have more energy coming into the system. Yeah. Uh, and so for that case, as we evolve towards beyond the moon and evolve towards uh, Mars capability, uh, we're expecting that the thickness will have to increase a little bit so that we maintain that backside temperature limit um, is how we'll manage that. So we do have some knobs we can turn to uh, to make sure we, you know, even for Mars missions, that we are able to reenter safely and, and protect the, the spacecraft and the crew yeah. from a mission like that. I like that phrase, just turning some knobs, right? right? You, you're working towards these deep space missions, but really just, you know, a few tweaks based on the knowledge we have now, and you can, you're talking about a mission to Mars and right. even beyond. That's right. really exciting. So, Ronnie, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, uh, and explaining this. I've never really gotten a chance to sit down and go this deep into uh, just how a spacecraft is not only going to survive in space, but then dealing with these insane temperatures. It's uh, it's right. pretty exciting stuff. So I appreciate you coming on. You bet.
Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Mr. Ronnie Backus about the Orion and the temperatures that it's going to uh, have to withstand out in missions to the moon and even beyond. But then more importantly, that that 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit temperature screaming back into Earth's atmosphere, that's going to be wild. We've talked about Orion before on the podcast uh, on a couple episodes. So you can go back and listen to some of them. You don't really have to do it in any, any particular order. Uh, but we do a nice overview for episode 17. We talk about how the crew is going to operate inside on missions that can go up to three weeks for episode 28 and then you can actually listen to episode 35 and take a ride inside the capsule we bring audio from eft1 the mission that we talked about during today's episode and bring it inside that episode and just you can just sort of sit back and feel what it's like to launch on orion and re-enter earth's atmosphere and even even splash down uh i've been talking to a lot of uh orion folks lately so you can go to nasa.gov orion and search for an article called The Top 5 Technologies Needed for a Spacecraft to Survive Deep Space. This heat shield is one of them, and we're going to address a lot of them uh, on just kind of scattered on this podcast. But you can go and uh, read that right now. It's a great article. Uh, you can follow Orion on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for Houston. We have a podcast. Make sure to mention that in the post uh, so we can go look for it and maybe bring or answer it on the show or bring in an expert to answer it for us. So this episode was recorded on August 28th, 2018. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Bill Stafford, Pat Ryan, Laura Rashawn, and Rachel Kraft. Thanks again to Mr. Ronnie Backus for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.